You're now listening to the I Can't Wait to Tell You podcast with Casey Edward featuring Dr. Bruce Lipton. Welcome to I Can't Wait to Tell You, a podcast I created to share with you my knowledge, stories, and ideas on everything from manifestation and meditation to money, sex and relationships, self-love and body image, and life in general. I want you to know that you are not your thoughts, that you can choose your thoughts, and thus you and only you create your reality. It's time for you to take control of your life and let joy and abundance be your natural state of being. We all deserve to make some magic, so let's jump right in because there are so many things I can't wait to tell you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the I Can't Wait to Tell You podcast. My name is Casey Edward. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here today. If you are new to the show, the intention of this podcast is to help you thrive spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Today's episode is an interview with someone that I have been learning from and looking up to for pretty much my whole journey, (laughs) and that is Dr. Bruce Lipton. Before we get into a little bit about Bruce and about this episode, I do want to give a shout out to Ned CBD. Ned is a wellness company who wants to help people feel better and live better through the powers of the natural world. And I am so happy to support and tell you about this brand of CBD. I've actually had the founder of Ned, one of the two founders of Ned on the show before. And the reason that I love Ned is because as you guys know, I vet pretty much to like a high standard who I'm gonna talk about and give shout outs to on the show. And I wanna make sure A, that it's intrinsic with your journey and what's going to help you. And B, that it's a company that cares not only about what they're doing, but about the effects it's having and the implications and how it's affecting the world. And so Ned does a lot to make sure that both the hemp and botanicals come from sustainable, pure, and ethical sources. Ned is certified organic, has farm direct sourcing versus third-party sourcing, is outdoor grown, and has third-party lab testing approval. So that means that the testing confirms amounts of cannabinoids, so it's not like they're just like, yeah, that's about how much is in there. And it also guarantees that there hasn't been exposure to mold, pesticides, or heavy metals. I personally use CBD for two main reasons. One, to alleviate and prevent stress and also just to keep my anxiety minimal. I find that CBD really helps with that. And two, to balance my hormones because I use the Hormone Balance Blend. The reason I like this blend is because it's everything you need to support your hormones in one, plus the huge bonus of it also having CBD in there. So if you're like me and you get overwhelmed by, you know, the people who are helping you try, try to help you with your hormones and it's like, you have to drink this tea and take this supplement and make this kind of food at this part of your cycle, that's a lot for me. <laughs> and so that's why I come to the Hormone Balance Blend. So that might be for you as well. They also do have daily blends, sleep blends, bombs, etc. So you can check out whatever blend you want. So to check Ned out for yourself, you can go to www.helloned.com and use Casey at checkout for 15% off. That's www.helloned.com and you can use C-A-S-E-Y for 15% off at checkout. Now, Let's get to a little bit about what you can expect from this episode with Dr. Bruce Lipton. So like I said, having Bruce on the show was such a 
full circle moment for me because his book, The Biology of Belief, truly changed my life. And my boyfriend, Joe, has also read it and we both love it. And it was the first time I remember in my journey being like, oh, spirituality is backed by science. (laughs) A lot of it, at least. And also the fact that we create our reality is backed by science. So a little bit about Bruce. Bruce Lipton, PhD, is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. Stem cell biologist, best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award, his research at Stanford University School of Medicine between 1987 and 1992 revealed that the environment, which operated via the cell membrane, controlled the behavior and physiology of the cell, turning genes on and off. Dr. Lipton's discoveries, which ran counter to the established scientific view that life is controlled by genes, gave rise to one of today's most important fields of studies, the science of epigenetics. So if you have heard of epigenetics, many of us have, Lipton was essentially the guy (laughs) who did the work that helped us understand epigenetics, helped us understand how genes are just a very small blueprint for how our lives actually can be. And it's just so profound. So some of the things that we get into in this episode are how parents having sex is vital in raising loving children, how we have been taught that sex is shameful and taboo to keep us small, how there is no single gene that causes cancer, the subconscious mind versus the conscious mind and how to rehabituate the mind, how religion and the medical profession are keeping us separate from God and thus our power how we are living heaven on earth if we allow ourselves to be, how to actually induce change in a crazy world, our energetic checkbooks, how getting heated is a waste of energy, and so much more. As Bruce says, you can't control your life until you first know what the programs are. So let's dive into this episode with Dr. Bruce Lipton so you can start to do just that. All right, everyone. Today, I'm here with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Bruce, how are you today? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Casey. I'm the happiest guy to be on your show because you have a wonderful community and we have some great things to talk about to empower them and give them that heaven on earth kind of stuff. I'm so excited. And the place that I want to start this conversation today is based off of where my own journey started. So when I started my personal development and my spiritual journey, I very quickly heard the phrase, you create your reality, but I was very confused because I had been taught that genetics created my physiological reality and that the external world's a machine. If I work really hard, maybe I can do something about it. And so as I started to learn about what you teach and I started to really put these principles into practice, I started to be like, wow we do create our reality. So can we start this conversation, Bruce, with you telling us how science backs the phrase, you create your reality? Yeah, well, let's start with the phrase you started with first. That was totally wrong, yet most people are into that school of thought, and that is, oh, my genes control the character of my life. I taught this in medical school because that was the conventionalist awareness when I was back in medical school. That was a teaching back in the 70s. So that was, a, a, you, you were in your nappies. <laughs> maybe <laughs> or you were in your in your parents imagination yeah, there you go <laughs> yeah um but at that time we were teaching the concept called genetic determinism and that was based on the premise that genes control the character of our lives 
And it first started out, well, genes were just the physical characters, you know, the, your physical expression. But as they start to go deeper, they start saying, oh, no, genes are responsible for our behavior. Oh, now genes are responsible for our emotions. And then I ask a simple question after teaching something like this. I say, well, uh, as far as we know, you didn't pick the genes you came with. And if you don't like the characteristics, you can't change the genes you came with. And then we add on top of that, genes turn on and off by themselves. And all of a sudden I said, what was I teaching? And what did the public learn? And what does the public still think? And that is that we are victims of our heredity. That something's running in our family and by darn it, we're going to get it. I, my, there's cancer running in the family and I've, I've got that cancer gene uh, uh, or whatever it is. One thing after the other, after the other. A little sidebar here because cancer gene is a, one of those words that, like that. And I go, just to help people, right? There is no gene that causes cancer. There's not one gene that if you have this gene, you will have cancer. Genes are correlated with cancer. Genes don't cause cancer. Uh, you know, especially for women that are so afraid because they, you know, the BRCA breast cancer gene is the big deal. And everybody's like, oh, I got the breast cancer gene. I say, what is the immediate thought of a person who just finds that out and says, oh my God, I'm going to get breast cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, Can Angelina Jolie's mother died of breast cancer. Grandmother died of breast cancer. I think her father was a doctor, uh, advised her have a double mastectomy. And I go, she was just a young woman. What do you mean have a double mastectomy? Yeah. Well, she takes those breasts off, there won't be any cancer. And then a little sidebar, that gene is also associated with uterine and ovarian cancer. So, okay, you want to do a double mastectomy and you want to do a hysterectomy. And then I go, guess what? No, you're not a woman anymore. Mm -hmm. You just took away all of it. Uh, and I say, well, did, did that save somebody from doing it? I go, you know what? 50% of the women that have the breast cancer gene never get breast cancer. Mm. And there's an important point. That is an important point. And I say, why? Possession of the gene itself does not cause cancer. I say, then where's the cancer coming from? Possession of the gene and not living in harmony, uh, living a life under stress. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's really interesting because cancers are different from one country to another country you know which ones are the more prevalent cancers and then in the west uh the more prevalent cancers are breast cancer for women prostate cancer for men mm -hmm. i go well these these are reproductive cancers you know both of them and i go um why the focus on this and the answer is because of our consciousness about sex and the taboos and the fear uh, and we do sex in the dark because we don't want anybody to know it why because oh, you had sex without having a baby the, that's oh you're sinning and i go sinning consciousness then says what and this is why it really irritates me is because the religious connotation associated with sex for a thousand years or a couple thousand years now sex bad yeah. And I go Shame, guilt. Yep. Yeah. Let, let, let me just make a little suggestion. If I was a, like a founding father in the church, right. And I would know this, I would say, and this is a true statement. There's something built into every living organism from bacteria all the way up. I go, what's built in? I go the drive to survive. 
is called the biological imperative. I go, what does that mean? I say, if you try and kill a bacterium, it's not going to go, oh, okay, kill me. <laughs> the bacterium, even at that primitive stage, will do everything to avoid dying because there's a drive to keep it alive. We all have a drive. Nobody just says, oh, okay, kill me. I'll just drop dead here. It's like, not really. And I go, but part of the drive to survive is not survival of the individual, but survival of the species. I say, so what does that mean? I say, but then automatically every organism from bacteria to humans will have a drive to have uh, reproduction, which means sex, okay? And so every organism is driven to do that. So and all of a sudden I'm one of the little founding fathers in the little black coach. What can we do to make some money? I go, well, what we can do is tell everybody it's a sin to have sex. I go, why is that important? Because everybody's driven to have sex. That's below consciousness. And if we put a fee on it, we're going to make money every time they do that. Uh, uh, and I go, exactly. Exactly what the point was, is that they can control you by telling you that sex is a sin. You're driven to have sex even below consciousness because it's so fundamental that you will inevitably sin. And therefore, you will inevitably owe the church. And I go, hey, smart business move. But what it has done it has driven sex from being something that's acceptable to something that's done in the dark. You don't talk about it. And then because of its hidden nature, it could get really into not really good sex at all. You know, it's like that, that, that stuff that's off the <laughs> basis of normal, you know. And I go, why is that? And because it's undercover and we don't tell anybody about it. And therefore, it's sneaky sex. Mm -hmm. I go, big problem. It's very interesting. A friend of mine was head of uh, uh, the section of the National Institute of Health on Child Health and Human Development. And uh, what he was looking at was the nature of violence. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what he found that in the very beginning, when they first started, it was actually looking at where love comes from. That was the first question. Yeah. I said, what, what were they looking for? They, well, the question was this, was love a, a built-in emotion that uh, animals including us, mm -hmm. express, or is love learned? And they go, well, what do you mean? Well, they went back and they said, when a mother is breastfeeding her baby, which is the comfort and development and the support of that child, that oxytocin is released and bonding of the mother to the baby, the bonding of the baby to the mother and the holding and all that. And they said, ah, that's where love comes from. But they weren't sure. So what did they did? They, they did an experiment and they got monkeys and they separated the little baby monkeys from the mother and the family and everything. They had a whole room full of monkeys, but each monkey was in its own cage. The monkeys could see each other. They could hear each other. They could smell each other, but they couldn't touch each other. Before the experiment could get underway, they had to destroy all the monkeys. And the reason was this. The monkeys raised in that isolation without touch, uh, they, they, they turned into sociopath. Mm. They, if you take those, if you take two of those monkeys and put them in a cage together, one will kill the other monkey because uh, they would try to avoid each other. Uh, and, and they started to find out that it was called somatosensory affection, somato body sensory affection, that when a baby is held uh, and held lovingly, there is a feedback to the system that the baby says, I am safe. And in that safety, they reduce the response to stress. 
A baby who comes from an environment of safe doesn't get stressed like a baby who comes from a fearful environment where stress could blow them open like that. So it came down to a very simple conclusion that somatosensory affection says, yeah, those cultures that hold their babies, and some of them don't even let the baby touch the ground for a year. Um, the question was, are they peaceful cultures? Yeah. So they looked and they found, yep, 70% of all cultures in which a baby is held in love are peaceful. But then that left the question is, well, what the heck was the 30% that they held the babies, but they weren't peaceful? They found there was two parts to bonding. The first part of bonding is how to be a member of a family. So that was the relationship of mother, child, and family, hugging, holding, security, family, and all that. But they also recognize there's a second level of bonding that is very critical. And I said, what's that? And I said, premarital sex. Meaning what? First, you have to have understanding of what relationships are all about. So that what they looked at, they said, well, okay, wait, let's look at one fact. And I said, what is that? I said, well, actually two. Those countries that hold their babies and those countries that also have uh, no taboos on premarital sex. Yeah. 100% of those cultures are peaceful cultures, no violence. And they started to find out, yeah, the second one was a bonding part too, that says, how do I relate to another person and how, what, what's going on? And without that, of course, we have over 50% of marriages end in divorce. Why? Because there's no experiences mm. to understand how to bond with another person because we put the taboo on the sex. And I go, where did that come from? I go, it came from the church. I said, why? Because they knew damn well you were going to sin and you're going to pay for it. <laughs> and so we've created a pathological situation in cultures where taboos of sex, uh, because those are violent cultures as well. Uh, uh, and so it comes back, this touching and loving is one of the most important elements of natural development and health and vitality. And when we cut those things, you don't hold a child, that's number one problem right there. Two, have taboos against sex, that's number two problem right there. You put those together and then you look at the world and you go, this is why we have problems. The only countries that don't have problems with this are those organizations or communities where um, holding a child and premarital sex is, is acceptable. And I go, maybe we could learn a lesson, <laughs> you know, why is because we are driven to have this relationship. It's built in. If people don't have relationships, there's no survival of the species. <laughs> so nature assures survival of species by putting the drive in and then humans put a shield in front and say don't do that and i go well that that's your human control that's not natural uh, and so i don't even know how i got off on this tangent casey but that that's a, there you go <laughs> i love that you did because i think it's intrinsic with coming back to the newtonian way of doing things which is a very physical matter taking physical action way of doing things and that's because way back when you know people couldn't understand the mind they didn't know that subatomically atoms are energy they didn't understand that and so it was kind of like well, hey, the <laughs> people today don't even understand that <laughs> not then now <laughs> right. right. So 
how then is the same thing going on with sex, our power being taken away and it being made taboo, the same thing is still happening, like you just mentioned, with the fact that people think that we really can't create our reality. And it's funny because you said something about consciousness. So what do our minds have to do with our creation of reality? Do our thoughts have an impact on the things that go on <laughs> Okay. Very, very simple fact is without a mind, nothing's going to work. <laughs> then I say, well, what's the mind? And then I say, now, this is where a problem comes in because we say the mind, the mind. Mm -hmm. Well, that implies there's a singular thing called the mind. I go, well, the illusion is a single thing, but there are actually two minds. They're interdependent because they work together. They're cooperative. But the difference is profound because the two minds, each of them has a different function and each of them learns in a different way. And if you don't understand the difference between them, then you're just lost. Of why did these things happen? And you don't even know. And then, of course, then people come up, well, God did that to you. And I go, huh? <laughs> uh, and then uh, what my research led me to understand and first of all this is very critical because as a scientist first 40 plus years of my life I was not a spiritual person I was a science person yeah genes proteins molecules put it all together machine live die go back to the molecules uh, and that was it but when I started to study understanding nature of the cells, I recognized there was something very profound, and, uh, and this is really critical. And that is, uh, Casey, if you try to put your cells or an organ, a liver, or, you know, kidney, lung, into another person, when you transplant that organ, the recipient's immune system will say, not self, and remove it. Mm -hmm. And it basically says, then everybody has a unique self. Uh, uh, because you can't put your cells and organ into another person's body without their immune system recognizing. And that to me was like, okay, science boy, what does this represent? I said, well, there must be something that says who we are built into the cell because the immune system can tell if it's your cells or somebody else's cells. And I started to look and I found it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God. And I said, what is it that makes us different? And I go on the surface of our cells, on the surface, there are protein antennas. These are proteins. They're just like antennas on a television set, okay? And each, of, each human has a unique set of receptors. No two people have the same set of receptors, okay? Interesting point, they're not on red blood cells. And I say, yeah, because that's why we can exchange blood with each other because there's no personal identity on it. I go, okay, but all the rest of your cells have personal identity. It is due to the receptors on the surface, and I go, well, what's a receptor? A receiver, an antenna. Mm -hmm. And I go, it's receiving a signal. And I go, so where is the receptor? On the outer surface of the cell. So then I said, and where do you think the signal is coming from that activates those receptors? The answer is not inside. And all of a sudden I started to realize that, oh my God, we are different because each of us has a unique set of these antennas on our body cells, exception, big time red cells, and that no two people have the same set of antennas. I said, well, it's receiving a signal. I go, yeah, from where? The environment. And then I said, wait a minute, the analogy, a television set has an antenna. The program is not in the, inside the TV. The program is received by the antennas. 
And when I started to put it together, I said, oh my God, our identity is a broadcast and we are a television set. Now we're looking at the Bruce show, <laughs> the Bruce show. And I go, yeah, but what controls the Bruce show? I said, the broadcast. I said, where's the broadcast? Out here. I go, wait a minute. My identity is a broadcast, like a television broadcast. I go, yes. My cells are like television sets. I got antennas to see the broadcast. And then came the moment of like, and I said, what? And I said, you're watching a TV and the TV breaks. And we say, TV dead. It says, it's not working, dead. I say, did the broadcast die when the TV died? The answer is no. I go, why? The broadcast isn't part of the TV. It's up here playing down. And all of a sudden I said, wait, then my identity is the broadcast. My body is a television playing the broadcast. The television can break, die, but the broadcast is still there. And then comes an interesting concept that came right after that. I said, wait a minute, but what if an embryo in the future shows up with the same set of antennas? I say, oh, you're back on the air, but a different television set. I go, well, wait a minute. Does it have to be male or female? I say, nope, that's the television set. That's not the broadcast. Well, how about, does it have to be white, brown, black, red, yellow? I go, nope, that's the television set. You're the broadcast. And all of a sudden I say, oh my God, you can't die. You're not even in the machine. <laughs> Uh, 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 and then came the, 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 the moment, you know, because I wasn't spiritual. I didn't believe in it. But now it's like I'm being faced with these facts, receivers, broadcast, activation. Uh, 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 and then uh, I had the funny moment in my life because I'm being a scientist. I ask a question. I go, well, I never believed in spirituality, but now I have a, you know, a mechanism, a physics and biology mechanism that my identity is the broadcast. Uh, and so I asked myself a question. I said, why have a body? Why not just be the broadcast? <laughs> and 50 trillion cells welled up in my body. I refer to them as Jewish comedian cells. And I say that because I asked a question, why have both? And the cells responded with a question. I said, why have both a body and a spirit? And the comedian cells responded with, Bruce, if you're just a spirit, what does chocolate taste like? All of a sudden I said, oh my God, this is a mechanism. This mechanism translates the environmental energy into sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, pain, temperature, uh, love, feelings, emotions. I go, this body is an extension of my spirit. Mm. And I go, oh my God, I can taste chocolate. Yeah, but my spirit needs to know. So I say, what does my nervous system do? All the senses that are coming into my body go into my brain and my brain translates it into electromagnetic vibration. That's when we put wires on a person's head. I could read your brain activity and go, yeah. And we always used to say, yeah, my brain activity is inside my head. And then I go, that was called electroencephalograph, EEG, wires on the head, read the brain. A newer version of reading the brain is called magnetoencephalograph, M-E-G. I said, what's unique? I said, the probe is out here. I'm reading your brain out here. I'm not even touching you. And I go, what does that mean? Your thoughts are not contained in your head. Your thoughts are broadcast into the field all around you. 
and your image that you're creating is turned into an energy field that's complementary to that image a love image a fear image I got whatever image there's a complementarity to it and then i rec recognize okay so I'm, uh, uh, you know, here's a guy not spiritual, 45 years, and then in, in, in about an understanding of how the membrane was receiving signals, uh, a minute later, I realized, oh my God, I'm not in here. I can't die. Why? I'm not in here. And then I find out, well, but the body is translating an environment via the brain into electromagnetics that go back to my source. And then it hit me. You don't die and go to heaven. You were born into heaven. Why? You came here to create. I say, well, you look around, you go, I, I wouldn't want to create. This is not my version of heaven. And I go, because you're not creating from your personal consciousness. You're creating from programs that represent the other mind, the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is a database of programs, just like a hard drive in your computer. And I go, significance. I say, well, first you have to learn the programs. I go, why? The brain is a computer. Yep. I said, in the old days, you would buy a computer, take it home, plug it in, push start, it boots up, screen lights up and go, yeah, let's do something. Like write, draw, spreadsheet, surf the web. Yeah. Oh no, I got a brand new computer. I can't even do that brand new why can't i use my computer and the first thing is before you can use a computer you have to put a program into the computer and then you can use that use the keyboard mm -hmm. so the hard drive has got programs that's a equivalent of the subconscious mind subconscious mind got programs yeah. okay but the keyboard is creativity that's where you type your stuff into it mm -hmm. okay now i recognize oh my goodness we had to have programs otherwise we can't get off the ground I say, well, how do you get those programs? You're an infant. I'm going to send you to school. I'm going to give you all the rules to be a member of a family, all the rules to be a member of a community. I say, how many rules is that? I say, a thousand rules. I say, well, how's an infant going to learn a thousand rules? Nature created the first seven years of a child's life to download programs. I say, what do you mean? How do you download them? I say, the brain of a child through age seven is predominantly in a vibrational frequency. That's when you put the wires on, you could read the brain vibrations. The vibration of a child under seven is predominantly called theta. Mm. Theta is imagination. Okay, go back to childhood. I go, what? I say, before age seven, you were in theta and you were in imagination, but in the real world. So you were mixing the two. So, uh, you know, the famous tea party. What I mean? Well, you pour nothing into the cup. And then you take that cup and you drink nothing. And then you go, that was the best tea I ever had in my life. <laughs> I go, that's called theta, mixing imagination in the real world. But theta is hypnosis. I go, so why is that important? Because to learn the rules to be a member of a family in a community, which are thousands of rules, if you observe other people and download that theta hypnosis, then I can get the programs downloaded by watching other people without going to school, okay? So we are programmed to watch our mother, our father, our siblings, our community, download their behaviors because those are behaviors that constitute life as a family and a community. Yeah. So I go, oh, okay, so I download my behaviors. And I say, where'd you get them from? I say, somebody else. 
I go, why is that important? Because I say, Casey, what is it you want in your life? I go, it might be totally different than what your mother and father have. And I say, yeah, but they didn't give you a program to support what you wanted. They gave you a program that they're living. And I go, well, this becomes problematic because let's get, let's get to the biggest monkey wrench in the whole damn game right now. Two minds. Conscious mind is the creative one that can type on the keyboard and put the information in and, and create the life you want. Subconscious mind is a hard drive with programs. And I go, okay, if I'm in my conscious mind, and this is your big thing, Casey, about being what is called being mindful, meaning if I stay in my conscious creative mind, then I'm typing on the keyboard and creating the life that I want. But if I start thinking, and I go, what does that have to do with it? I go, well, that's the unique part of the conscious mind. It's not just responding to the world, it's thinking. It's having imagination. It's using that imagination to create life and stuff like that. So I go, oh, so the conscious mind is not only controlling my biology, but it's thinking. I go, yeah, but that's where the difference comes from. Controlling my biology means I'm looking out my eyes, my window, my windshield, and I'm driving my vehicle to where I wanna go. But when I'm thinking, the conscious mind's not looking out the window. I say, why? Come where do you think thoughts are? They're inside your head. So the moment you are thinking, instead of looking out, your conscious mind is looking in. Mm. I go, yeah, but if the conscious mind's looking in and it's not driving the vehicle, why? Because who's looking out the windshield? <laughs> I'm driving down the street and I have a thought and I'm now inside. I'm in a lot of trouble. Why? Because I'm not looking out the window anymore. My, my conscious mind is focused inside. I go, Oh, I go, there is an autopilot. I, what do you mean? I go, the moment your conscious mind is thinking and not looking out the window, the subconscious steps in, grabs the steering wheel and drives. Mm -hmm. But it only drives according to the program that you got from somebody else. It doesn't drive your program. It resorts back to what was downloaded. Then I say, okay, so when I'm conscious, mindful, the Casey Edwards story here, then I am in charge of my life and I'm creating what I want by typing in my wishes and desires into that machine and then seeking them. I go, great. But when I'm thinking, I default to the subconscious programs that I downloaded from other people. And then you say, yeah, but 60% of those programs are disempowering, self-sabotaging, you know, limiting beliefs. And I go, oh, that's not a good program. I go, yeah, but 60% of them are take away your power. Yeah. I go, well, what's significant? I said, when you are playing a subconscious autopilot program, why are you playing it? The conscious mind's not paying attention. The conscious mind's thinking. So I said, well, what about the behavior that is coming from the subconscious program? I go, you don't see it, yeah. but everybody else does. Right. And I go, same story. I hate to, I really want to get a new one, but this has been working for 40 years. I haven't found a better story. So here it is. You've heard it before, Casey, but let's send it out to the community. And that is simply this. You have a friend, you know, your friend's behavior very well. You happen to know your friend's parent. One day you see your friend is behaving just like their parent. And so you comment to your friend, Hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And I say, back away from Bill. I know exactly what Bill's going to say. And you've heard it. I said, what's that? Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. When I say that in the, in the audience, they all start laughing. Why? They all have experiences. Yeah, I go, 
understand the profound significance of that statement. And that is this. Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who can't see it is Bill. And I go, so relevance. Well, if Bill starts to think, and now he's not paying attention, and the subconscious dad steps in, and the dad has a negative program, then Bill's going to be playing a negative program, but Bill's the only one who can't see it because Bill's not paying attention. Bill's thinking. That's why the program is playing. And then I go, and how much time do we spend thinking? Oh, God, 95% of the day. Yeah. And I go, so what does that mean? The answer is very profound and very serious. I say, you're not living your life 95% of the day. You are living the programs you downloaded in the first seven years. So you're living other people's lives. And I go, then that's why we have trouble creating because we're not using our creative mind mm -hmm. except 5% of the day. That's a very small percent. And the subconscious hard drive is a million times more powerful a computer than the conscious mind. And I say, mathematically, I only use my conscious mind 5% of the day on a little tiny computer. And 95% of my life is coming from the giant computer, which I don't even see the programs. All I see is the result of a program. And therefore, what does that lead an individual to? And that is this. You think you're coming from your wishes and desires. And then life doesn't work out. And then you go, oh, it's not me. I mean, I wanted to be successful. It was, that person got involved. This, these people interfere with me. That person messed with me. And I am now looking at myself as a victim. My life is not what I want. And therefore, I just have to recognize that other people are interfering. Why? Because I know what I want. And it's not happening. So it's the other people. Yeah. And that's where the whole Bill story comes back in and say, no, you were creating a life from programs that you didn't put in there. <laughs> and these programs came from other people. And they have their problems. And if they have problems, then they downloaded that problem to you. Now you have problems. Cancer. I go, what do you mean? Well, cancer runs in families. So we always say it must be genetics because it's running in a family. And I go, you know, there's a great uh, observation that a child who is adopted into a family where there's cancer will get the same family cancer, even though that child came from totally different genetics. Wow. What was the point? The cancer didn't come from the gene. It came from not living in harmony as a program that was downloaded from somebody who was not living in harmony, who ends up expressing the cancer because they didn't live in harmony. You are now playing their program and you're going to end up with the cancer just like they did. And so, um, Casey, I noticed, you know, when I looked on your site and I said, this is one of the most important things in the world that you're involved with. And that is keeping people mindful, which means stop thinking for a moment. Mm. And I go, well, why is that important? Because if you're not thinking, then your conscious creative mind is in control and you will manifest what you want. Uh, and this is why something called the honeymoon happens. And I go, why? It's because when people fall in love, they stop thinking. <laughs> I go, why, why, would, why would I stop thinking? The answer is if you're thinking, you're not even paying attention to the person who just came into your life. To be with them, you can't be thinking because if you're thinking, you disconnected from them. So there's a character called mindfulness, which you are teaching, which is the first character of falling in love. 
And I go, that is the red pill in the movie, The Matrix. The movie, The Matrix, I refer to as a documentary because everyone is programmed. That was the emphasis of this movie. I go, yeah, but everyone is programmed. That's the emphasis of being a human. And then I go, but in the movie, they take the red pill, they get out of the program. And I go, when people fall in love, there's a period of the red pill. I said, what do you mean? I say, they stop playing the program. I said, why they stop? Because they stop thinking because they want to be there to enjoy the experience of the person that just came into their life. And therefore they're not playing the program. I say, then if they're not playing the program, then what mind is running? I say the conscious mind, subconscious mind's idling in the back. <laughs> it's not controlling at this moment. I say the conscious, oh, that's wishes and desires. I go, then what happens when two people come together? I go, they stop playing programs, both of them, and they start both creating wishes and desires. And I go, what is that? And I call heaven on earth. Mm. And that's why, because that was, if I had my choice, I would like heaven on earth. I go, yeah, but 95% of the day, I'm not coming from my choice, 95% of the day, because I'm thinking my life is controlled by the program. Yeah. So if, if Bruce, we have someone who's listening and is like, okay, I'm looking at my external reality. I realize it's not what I want. And it's all well and good that I could find someone and be in the honeymoon effect and be in love. But one of my programs is keeping that person from me. How can anyone who is starting to recognize, okay, my programs are running my life and making it not what I want it to be. And it's me. Where can they, where can they start in their own personal daily right now to become present what what can they do right now the first thing is to recognize very seriously this right now yeah that your life is coming from a program mm -hmm. unless you're taking that red pill right now your life is coming from the program i say yeah but here's the issue when did you get programmed i said well you started getting programmed the last trimester before you were born you were even being programmed while you were in the womb and then you're programmed a whole year from zero to one and another year from one to two and then from two to three, and I say, tell me the program you got when you were in the womb. Obviously, I don't know. Okay, tell me the program you were programmed a whole year from zero to one. Tell me that program. You go, I don't know. Why? Conscious mind wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So there was no reflection back on what was going on. You can't tell me the program you got a whole year from one to two. You can't tell me the whole program from two to three. And all of a sudden I say, well, then we have a problem. I say, why? Well, your life is run by the programs and you have no consciousness of what the hell those programs are. And then we revert back to the fact that I said 95% of your life is when you're thinking. Therefore, 95% of your life is created from where? Subconscious mind. Why? Because the conscious mind is not participating when it's thinking. So therefore, your life is a printout of your programs. I go, what does that mean? I go, look where you are right at this moment. And I said, Look at this. The things that you like that come into your life, they come into your life because you have a program to acknowledge those things. That's why they're there. But the things you wish for, you desire, you have an aspiration to, you know, to achieve. I say you're struggling, you're working hard, you're sweating over, you're putting a lot of effort in to make that destination. I say, why are you working so hard to create this destination? And the answer is, the programs that you have do not support that destination. 
You're looking for a relationship. You can't find one. Guess what? You got some very bad programming about relationships. You're looking for a job and you can't find one you like. Well, you got bad programming about working on the job. Uh, you have health issues. You can't resolve them. I say you got bad program on taking care of health. So the idea is the first thing is this. You can't control your life until you first know what the programs are. Right. You are playing the programs. Now, if you understand where the programs are, then you know where the conflict comes from. I want to be successful. I'm not. I go, why not? I go, well, whether it's, is it a relationship thing? Okay. Or whatever. Where is it? And I go, it's a program. So I say, oh, well, then what can I do? I say, well, you know the destination you want and you can't get there. Then the idea is this. You reprogram the system as if you already have that destination. And I go, what do you mean? I say, let's say um, I'm looking for relationships and I can't find one that lasts. Okay. Uh, and therefore, uh, what I really have to recognize is that somewhere along the line, my behavior for relationships that I'm expressing 95% of the day and I can't see is not a behavior that supports this relationship. So I say, okay, I want a relationship. So let me give you the first clue because this is the most important one. Um, <clears throat> from 80 to 90% of every audience involved in belief change that I've been involved with in the belief change process, we ask them uh, a belief statement uh, and we check it with muscle testing. And I go, what's the belief statement I want to check? I say, I love myself. 80 to 90% of the people will not test positive for this law. I go, why? And the answer is, because as children, we were criticized by our parents with their thinking that criticism is going to make me a better person without recognizing you criticize a child under seven, their conscious mind's not even working. They're just downloading the criticism. Not good enough, not lovable, not smart enough, not deserving. These are things parents say, trying to like put a needle in you. So you jump and you go, I'll do better. I go, but if you do this to a child's under seven, they have no conscious understanding of what you're meaning by saying that. They're just recording. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not smart enough. 80 to 90% of people, which includes in a lot of people in the audience, will not test positive for I love myself. And I go, significance of that. I say, well, if your program is you don't love yourself, then be logical and understand this. No one else can love you. Because if they say they love you, your own mind We'll say, well, obviously they have no quality control. I know I'm not lovable. And therefore, what will you do unconsciously? Use those negative programs and push them away. And then when they're gone, guess what you're going to say? I'm not lovable. <laughs> I go, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you were the one that pushed them away. <laughs> and you didn't see it because you're Bill. We're all Bill. Every one of us is Bill. And we're making these behaviors and we're the only ones that don't see it. And I go, if you understood this, then you would say, I want to reprogram. Of course, that's the whole essence, which really irritated the hell out of me. I'll tell you why. Because I'm the biology guy. And I started going through the molecular nature of the receptors and the genes and the whole epigenetics, the new science. And I thought, this is amazing, great stuff. So I give a lecture. And I'm so excited because this is great science. And then the first question is, well, how do I change it? And I go, my job. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just depress me because it was sort of like, oh, that was nice science, but what, how, how do I change it? I go, you didn't think the science was great? I thought it was great. Okay, so the, the issue was 
and I'll never forget this because I was giving a lecture in Rocky Mountains, Cal <laughs> near Boulder. And uh, uh, I just did exactly what I, I explained this the molecular thing of how you create. And of course, the very first question was, so how do I change that, Dr. Lipton? I go, oh, shit, excuse me. But <laughs> it's like, you don't even care about all that beautiful science? Nah, no, I just want to change it. So I'm being disgusted, pick up my computer and start to go back to the back of the lecture room. And on the way back, I hear this guy who's become my friend, Rob Williams. I'm going to show you how to change those beliefs Bruce was talking about. And I turn around and I go, he's going to show us how to change those beliefs right here in this room right now. He's pretty damn sure of himself. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm going to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved it because he asked the audience, who wants to change a belief? And of course, almost everybody in the audience, the hands yeah. went up. And there's this one woman like that. He was doing this, just like this. So he, he calls on her. He says, uh, tell us your name and what belief you want to change. So everybody looks at her. And all of a sudden, guess what? She got red like Rudolph's nose there. She was glowing red. Not a word. She couldn't even say her name. So Rob walks out in the audience and gets next to her and says, well, what, what's your name? Pauline, what do you want to change? She says, I can't speak in public. I go, well, that's pretty damn obvious. She couldn't even say your name. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> so I'm, now I'm, you know, curious as anything. It's like, he's going to change this woman, right? Oh, brave move. Yeah. And I watch. And he takes her up to the front and does what is called a balance in the psyche belief change process simple process maybe 10 minutes 12 minutes 12 minutes later she's sitting on a chair where they were doing this balance and they finish and she gets up and rob puts his hand on her shoulder faces her to the audience and says pauline would you like to describe what just happened here he took his hand off her shoulder and all of a sudden she started talking and she was walking up and down the stage talking and telling stories and blah, blah, blah. The funniest moment of the <laughs> evening was Rob saying, Pauline, please sit down. You're using my lecture time. Here's a woman who couldn't say her name and he has to ask her to shut up. <laughs> it's like, and I saw that and I said, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> this woman's belief changed with a 10 minute process and she's somebody else and and that was the beginning of my connection with belief change modalities energy psychology yeah. and it revealed yes you can reprogram that subconscious mind and uh, what you have to recognize is the conscious mind being creative that's the character it can learn in any number of ways it's creative read a self-help book, go to a video, watch a lecture, even just go, aha, I have a new idea. Yeah. I can change my conscious mind just like that. Yeah. Subconscious mind is called the habit mind. I go, but there's a very important word, habit. I go, why is that important? Habits actually uh, prevent change. A habit does not want to change because if a habit changes, then by definition, it's not a habit anymore. Yeah. So any habit you have program program in your subconscious mind it doesn't want to change yeah. so all of a sudden i said well geez if i want to teach the subconscious mind the conscious mind learns just by any damn way i want to do it but the subconscious mind resists change so there has to be a special way of learning and i uh, i'll go back and i'll just summarize it because 
everyone always asks how you change it. No one really cares about the beautiful molecules that created it. But I'll talk about the change because that's what you want, Casey. Okay, here we go. You can change the subconscious mind in the ways that it learns. I go, well, how does it learn? I go, how did you learn in the first seven years? I say, your brain was below consciousness. It was called theta. Theta is when consciousness shuts off and, and yet the subconscious is still working. And then even when that shuts off, then you go into delta, a lower one, that's sleep. So I say every night when you come home from work, at work you're using high vibration consciousness and that's referred to as beta. Mm -hmm. Then you come home and you relax and the conscious, and now it's called, you know, it's a calm consciousness. That's called alpha, another vibration, but lower. But the moment you fall asleep, your eyes just shut, I'm closed, I'm gone. The vibration drops into the next lower one called theta which is hypnosis. So I say, oh, if I put earphones on at night, when I go to bed and I play a program that enhances whatever the relationship, job, health, whatever program, self-help program you want. When I put those earphones on at night, the moment my alpha consciousness goes to sleep, there's a short period of theta where the brain is in record, subconscious record. So whatever's coming through the earphones is going straight into the subconscious, not going into the conscious mind. You're sleeping. You don't even hear what the tech, the program has in it. You're sleeping. So theta is download. So every night, if you put the earphones on with a program supporting what you want that you're not getting, then that program will then go down into the subconscious called self-hypnosis. And you repeat this a number of times. Why? Because theta is only a short period of time before alpha, uh, delta, which is now I'm unconscious sleep. Okay. So self-hypnosis using, you know, the uh, headphones with a program playing is a fundamental way of changing that belief system. But then I say, you know what? The self-hypnosis part, uh, theta, uh, ends as the predominant activity of the brain after age seven. But I said, you still learn things. You learn how to drive a car. You learn how to play an instrument. You learn how to do a job. Uh, you learn things. I said, well, how did you learn after age seven? I go, repetition, practice, habituation, where you create a new behavior and you practice that behavior. The more you practice it, the more it becomes habit. And then it will become a program. And this is where I mentioned when you put in a new program, you, you have to be very careful how you put the program in because the subconscious mind doesn't know time. If you could talk to the subconscious mind and I say, uh, Casey, subconscious mind, Casey, when did you learn how to walk? And you know what your subconscious mind will say? Today. Why? It doesn't know time. So the idea is this, then I can't use a time in, a, in a, a, a belief change. I can't say, let's say I'm unhealthy. Let's say I have a disease, cancer. I say, I want to change the cancer. Okay. So I say, I, let's put program. I will be healthy. I go, oh, that's a nice program. I say, let's record that today. I will be healthy. I've just put that in the subconscious. And then I say, a year from now, we come back. I say, let's, let's hear that recording. I will be healthy. I go, you can't get healthy, you're on a track of, I will be yeah. healthy. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that doesn't work because you're just projecting it as it's not now. <laughs> so I said, well, what do you need to do? And this is the hard part for a conscious mind to take in. And as I say, you have to say what you want as if you have it now. 
So you don't say, I will be healthy. You say, I am healthy. I love myself. Not I will love myself. I love myself. So the hardest part of that is the conscious recognition is you could be sick as a dog, but the program is I am healthy. <laughs> it doesn't seem like to connect. Well, yeah. And I go, because the little missing piece of the story, Casey, is this. The function of the mind is to create coherence between your belief and your reality. So if you have a belief that I am healthy and you're not, then the function of the mind is to make that belief manifest. Okay. And all of a sudden that's where the issues come from is because you have to put in what you want as if you already have it. And if you don't have it, then of course, then the function of the mind and the brain is to manifest it. Okay. Uh, it will manifest. Uh, I want to be healthy by what? Prolonging you from getting healthy because you're not ready for healthy. You say, I want it, but I don't have it. So uh, that becomes a hard part. Okay. Uh, and that is very important in programming, but it's to play a role. I, I like to bring it in here at this moment in an interesting story. And I go, good actors, good actors. What do they do? They practice a character. I say, oh, practice? I say, yeah. They play the character. They play the role. They're trying to get into that character. I'm getting into the character. And I say, what do you mean you're getting into the character? I'm behaving as if I am that character. And I go, then what's the result? And I say, a good actor will transform their biology and their behavior by taking on a character and then practicing that character. Renee Zellweger plays the diary of some Bridget Jones or something. In the character, Bridget Jones is 40 pounds heavier than Renee. But she becomes in a character. She practices and she practices that character for the role. She gains 40 pounds because she's manifesting a character. Yeah. And then I go, wow, that, that might be not really great. But guess what? The movie is finished. She doesn't need the character anymore. She reverts back to Renee. And I say, what is Renee? 40 pounds thinner. Yeah. And guess what? The 40 pounds disappeared. Uh, uh, the other actor I always like to talk about is Dustin Hoffman, because he, he's so an amazing actor that he takes on a character and he becomes that character. I always remember I saw Midnight Cowboy a long time ago, and he played Ratso Rizzo, a, a bum-like guy in the street with a limp and old, you know, really a bum. And uh, and I thought, wow, that was that was a really great movie. And somebody said, well, you ought to see Dustin Hoffman in the movie called The Graduate. So I said, oh, I like this guy. Maybe I'll go forget. I'll watch The Graduate. So I watched The Graduate. About halfway through, I say to the person next to me, when does Dustin Hoffman come in? And they go, Dustin Hoffman's been here from the beginning. He's the graduate. I go, that's Dustin Hoffman? Why? His persona was completely somebody different. I didn't even recognize him in the movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, interesting, he played on Broadway, uh, <clears throat> Death of a Salesman. And the character he played, Willie Loman, is one of the most oppressive characters in the, in the whole story. And he becomes Willie Loman. He was so good at being that depressive character, he ended up during the, pro, during the play, he had to check out and go to a neural hospital, a nerve hospital, why? He became so depressed, he couldn't, he couldn't carry on anymore. He became Willie Loman. So then I go, oh, so if you take on a character and you practice it, you can become that? I go, yeah. They go, well, then listen out there. Become the character you want. 
put the characteristics down, write them down, what you want. This is a character. I want to play this character. I say, then practice that character mm. and you will become that character. Yeah. And that is yeah. uh, <laughs> through this, the, this entire process of habituation. Habituation means repeating something until it becomes a habit. So if you start repeating, you know, uh, the new age people, they go, uh, <laughs> fake it till you make it. I was just <laughs> ask about that. <laughs> fake it till you make it. I said, what does that mean? I said, well, you're an unhappy person yeah. and you're unhappy. Yeah. I said, but you want to be happy. So I said, guess what do you do? All, what do you do all day long? Every time you can remember, you go, I am happy. Of course you're not happy, but you go, I am happy. I am happy. I am happy. I go, what does that result in? Habit, mm. where I am happy. And I say, and then one day, guess what? You wake up. You woke up happy. Why? You've been programming a habit of I am happy by repeating it and repeating it. And then one day, that is now a subconscious program. <clears throat> and so this is the whole idea. Uh, and more important to that is, of course, your work case of trying to get people to become mindful and say, what is it you want? Start living what you want. It will become a habit. And then you won't even have to work at it anymore. I mean, I love it. <clears throat> even that self-hypnosis. Uh, how much work do you have to do? I say, go to sleep. <laughs> when you're sleeping, the download is going to work, okay? Uh, and the other one, how much work do I have to do to change? I said, pretend you're somebody else. Pretend you're a different character that you are. Say, you know, I am this and repeat it. And then you become that. And I go, oh, Jesus, guess what? This is why when you are mindful, you're not thinking. Because remember, when you start thinking, that's when the subconscious takes over. So if you stay conscious and stop thinking, then where's your life coming from? Not from the program. Your life is now coming from whatever <laughs> your wishes and desires are because you're not playing a program. And that's why something called the honeymoon is heaven on earth. You know, that's always there. It was never not there. It's just when you want to access it, it's there. I go, then why do I have trouble accessing? I said, because you're not coming from the conscious mind. You're coming from the subconscious mind. So stay mindful. What does that mean? Stop thinking. Well, it's very difficult to do that in today's world, but if you practice it, you can enhance it and, and then also start to do the other things. You, you can take on a new behavior and repeat it or put the program in. And, and these are ways where you can empower yourself. And this is unfortunate if you think about it, why the honeymoon brings us heaven on earth and then why did the honeymoon disappear? And the answer I said, well, there are four minds, two conscious minds, two subconscious minds. I go, but when a relationship starts, it's only two conscious minds, wishes, desires, manifestation. But as the relationship continues, there's a point where thinking starts cutting back in. And when you're thinking your behavior is not coming from here, it's coming from here. And all of a sudden your subconscious programs kick in. I go, well, that's the ones with the negative programs. I go, yes. And guess what, Bill, your partner's going to see you play those negative programs and you will not see it. And I said, well, what will that result in? I say, an argument. <laughs> and I go, what do you mean? Well, what did you say this for? And you go, I didn't say that, but you did say that. And you didn't even hear it. And then argue by argue. And I go, guess what? Honeymoon starts to fade away. Because now, guess what? You're not living your life with these two creative. You stop being mindful. Now your life is coming 95% from those subconscious programs. And they do not support honeymoon. 
they don't you know <laughs> most of them don't even support that you even love yourself so all of a sudden you start to see if you start falling into that trap then why we have more than 50 percent of divorces in marriage why because you got together with a person because of the person you who you really are your spiritual entity but at some point your spiritual entity gets into the thinking mode and now you become the program entity and the program entity and the spiritual entity are completely different from each other uh, uh, and the program entity will cause a separation because you start behaving in ways that you don't even see that you're behaving but your partner does and then that comes back on you at that, that point yeah what do you think about that i i it's it's just it's it's so interesting because I feel like for so much of my life, I thought that the change would be induced by hard work and going after it and doing different things. And it is partially that, but also it's like, okay, meditate when you go to sleep, have these habits. And you and I were talking about before we started recording, how, when you started all of this and you started to teach all of this, you realized you were talking the talk, but not walking the walk. So can you tell us about your experience personally with your subconscious getting on board with this honeymoon effect yeah. you're now walking the walk talking the talk doing all of it okay. so is your subconscious now pretty in tune with your spiritual entity uh, absolutely and here's what here's what the significance is let me bring in something else uh and this is relative to living our life every day because that's what i was doing okay uh, and the point is this if you have a bank a checking account you have money in a bank. I say money is energy. <laughs> if you have money, you can do stuff. If you have no money, <laughs> you can't do anything. So I say, you don't write checks to give away your money. If you do, you lose your ability, your power. So in other words, you walk down the street and you give somebody, hey, $10. Hey, Casey, I like that dress you're wearing. Here's $10. And oh, look, I like that person's shoes. Let me give them $5. You don't go give your money away. Why? That's your life. Mm. But then I also said, guess what? Energy is life. You have energy, you have life. You have no energy, you don't have life. And I say, what if I gave you an energy checkbook? It says, before you commit, to doing something this is critical people listen before you commit to doing something weigh out this fact what are you getting back for your input you're using your energy which is life are you getting something back i say why because if you're not getting anything back from your investment of energy you've given away your life that's what the point is you're giving it away because nothing came back i give energy which is life to something I get into an argument with a person over politics. We get heated. We're arguing. <laughs> Argument's over. I walk away. They walk away. Did anybody change anybody? Nope. Did we get uh, use energy? I said, you got hot, baby. I go, you know that heat in physics is referred to as wasted energy. This getting heated was wasting my energy. I didn't change them. They didn't change me. I used this energy. I walked away. I have less energy. Did anything change? Nope. I said, then why the hell did I do that? Yeah. And all of a sudden I said, well, that's where I was in the first time <clears throat> when I started to think about energy. My, that's my life. So here I am sitting in my office at the university uh, contemplating this issue. 
And one of my colleagues comes in and says, Bruce, don't forget we have faculty party on Saturday. I go, faculty parties are the most boring things I've ever been in my life. They stand around holding a glass, looking at each other. They're not social. They work in a lab, they work with cells. What the hell do they know about social? So uh, Saturday night and I go home, I go, I just wasted Saturday night, man. I work all week. I gave away Saturday night. So he comes in, he says, Bruce, don't forget, we have the faculty party. And at that moment, I'm thinking of energy. And I go, oh, I forgot about the party. I didn't realize I made these other plans. I can't go to the party. And he looks at me like, you're not going to the party? I go, no, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. He walked out of the room. I all of a sudden just got this bolt of, holy crap, I've got Saturday night for me to spend the way I want to spend it. Why? Because we commit to things that, oh, we just do it because that's the way we do it. And I go, yeah, but if you ever stop long enough to say, what benefit did you get from doing this? And the answer is, if there's no benefit for you, then why are you doing it? Because you just gave away your energy, your money, your life. And that was the first time, the moment he walked out and the moment I thought, holy crap, I, I don't have to go to that stupid thing. I can spend it any way I want. Immediately, my mind said, what's next? And I started to clean up. I said, I'm only going to do the things that I want to do that enhance my vitality. But I'm not going to just follow suit because that's the way we do it. Because that doesn't enhance my vitality. And all of a sudden, I started to do what? Increase my bank account of energy. I'd stop giving it away. And then I started saying, yeah, but I could use that energy to make me happy. I go, oh, good idea. Great idea. Let's enjoy life. I say, why? Because you don't die and go to heaven. You were born here to be a creator. And if you stop creating other people's programs and start creating your program, then this is heaven on earth. And all the crap that's going on on this planet right now, I'm not involved. The only involvement I have is to go in and offer a lesson and then step back out. I'm not buying into it. It's in a state of chaos. It's a collapsing system because it's not sustainable. Do I need to go out there and, and fight the system? I, I, I use in my lecture uh, two electrodes, little wires that are one's positive, one's negative. And I say, when you bring them together, guess what they do? They spark and they smoke and they fire and they burn up the electrodes and pretty soon there's not even any electrodes left. And I go, famous statement, Buckminster Fuller Futurist, don't go in and change the system. Step outside and build another system. Why? You cannot use your small energy to change that giant energy. So if you go in, electrode, you go into that system and say, I'm going to change that. I say, you just burned up your energy. Why? You're not going to change that. You want to change that? Create the world you want out here and don't participate in that one. That's what Buckminster Fuller, and it's right. What you need to do, folks, is stop realizing you're going to go change that world. You cannot change that world. It's bigger than you are. Your energy will be consumed and you'll walk away drained and you'll go, what did I change? I go, nothing. So I say, then guess what? Don't go in there. Keep this energy. Keep Saturday night for yourself. Keep that. Because if you don't enjoy your life, then story true. 
my mother, when she was older, remarried uh, a guy, Phil, a curmudgeon. I didn't personally <laughs> care for him, but my mother was happy and okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, I, I'll put up with Phil. He was 97 years old. He had cancer. My mother took care of him at home. And in the last week of his life, he wasn't really there. He was mainly in a coma-like thing like that. Yeah. And two days before he dies, she goes in and all of a sudden his eyes are open and he's there. And he looks at my mother and he says, I didn't have any fun. 97 years old, dying in two days, come to the realization, I didn't have any fun. Guess what my life is? I ride this vehicle till the wheels come off. <laughs> And I'm going to joyfully go, when it comes to the end, I say, that was fabulous. And I want to come back and do it with more fun next time. Yes. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that things get serious and things get deep and confusing and whatever, but ultimately it gets to be fun. And I actually, I've shared on the show before, and I think you would like this, Bruce, if you haven't heard this. So the word enthusiasm actually comes from the origin enthusios, which means from God within, inspired by God. And so when we're enthusiastic about something, that's not an accident. That means that God source energy is flowing through us. And that's what we get to live in. So am I enthusiastic about this? No. Okay. That's not going to be given to my <laughs> energy bank, right? Well, that's it. So you have to assess, you have to look at your own experience from a critical third person, look back at yourself and say, is this benefiting me? If I commit to this, do I, the, you know, two things that benefit you, A, personally benefit me, or B, benefit my community. Yeah. Because if it benefits my community, I'm part of that community. So it, I'll support something that benefits my community. It may not directly come to me, but it's my community and that's where I live. So basically, it comes down to say, uh, am I creating a world that enhances my reason for being here? And the reason for being here is, it is heaven. And this is your chance. When you die, you lose this. And I go, well, what's this? I go, this is the enhancement of your life. You, you can be intellectual and describe love and write paragraphs. Love is blah, blah, blah. I go, but if you never had a body, you never experienced love, then you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and that's why the whole idea is to go out and experience this life. And I said, perfect, try something. If it's a, you don't like it, well, then don't do it again. But if you like it, then do it again. <laughs> that was the whole point. And then you start to see what? You will start to pair off the things that took you away from that enthusiasm that you talked about that your enthusiasm is a pathway in heaven to create what you wanted, not the program that we've been downloaded with. And it's the damn programs. And then we give up our power to the programmer. I say, there's two programmers I want you to recognize that are not really for you. It's for them. I say, what is it? Religion. I go, what do you mean? Religion is the business of spirit. The manipulation of that spirit and telling you what you can do and what you can't do according to who them well who are they they're the ones that are taking the money from you tithing 10 percent. give me 10 percent of your money i'll tell you how to live i go get out of my life get out why 
I'm a spirit. You, I've never been separated from God. Nobody can be separated from God. There's nothing in this universe that's separate from everything else. And the idea, if I can convince you you're separate, then I can convince you to pay me to get back into the fold again. And I go, get out. Why? I am spirit. I am a creator. Do I like my creation? Not before. Uh-uh. Did I decide to change it? Yep. Have I? I live in heaven. I don't care how crazy that world is. They're not in my yard. I don't do that. And, and, and the whole idea is so religion takes away your power by telling you, you that you need them to connect to the higher source. And I go, no, you are connected. There's no way you could not be connected to God. Everything is, God is everything. You can't be separated from God. Do I need to pay this person to talk to God? I go, I look right here. I'll talk to God right now. No I can look in the mirror and talk to God if I want to. Okay. Yeah. The other one, the medical profession, because they program you that you're a victim of your health cancer, diabetes, heart disease, you're a victim. And therefore, they have programmed you to see them as the rescuer. I got a problem with my health. Go to the rescuer. How much you have to pay to that rescuer? I say, whatever the hell they're charging, if you want it, you'll pay for it. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and I go like, uh, my brother had hep C, hepatitis C. And they come out with a pill. He says, oh my God, I could get a prescription. I don't have to have hep C. I'm going to be healthy. You need a hundred pills there, David. And, and David goes, well, how much was the pill? A thousand dollars a pill. It costs $100,000 to heal yourself from hepat C because they're charging you for the pill. I go, how much did it cost to make that pill? 25 cents. <laughs> Okay. Oh, yeah, but we have to cover expenses. I go, a million times more than the damn bill? Are you kidding me? You know, the one that's the worst one, and they're evil, 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 is pharmaceutical company. Doctors are not evil. Yeah. Doctors are programmed. Yeah. Why? How do I know? I was a professor in a medical school. I know damn how they were programmed. I was there programming them. And I go, so don't blame the doctors. They're, they're actually caught between a rock and a hard place because if they don't follow the rules of the people above them, then their license is taken away. So all of a sudden their behavior is not free. Their behavior is controlled by, are you following the rules that we set forth? Are you giving enough prescriptions? That's what the point is. Medicine is all prescriptions. I go, surgery, that's a different level of medicine. But drug treatment, is one of the worst things in the entire world. As a matter of fact, uh, medicine, according to, and listen to who, it's not me just saying this, not just Bruce, the Journal of the American Medical Association and the British Medical Journal both report that medicine in the United States is the third leading cause of death behind heart attacks, one, cancer, two, and the third one, nobody knows because they changed the name to Latin, just like the church, you know, put in Latin, nobody knows. Iatrogenic illness. I said, geez, what the hell is iatrogenic illness? I go, illness as a result of medical treatment. <laughs> the third leading cause of death. And yet, just like with the church, you give up your power to these people. And you were capable of healing yourself from the beginning because you are the creator. Take your power back.
take your power back. Oh my God. That is just, that is what this is all about, right? Yes. This is, that's what it's all about. And that's what it, it, it's, it's interesting because when I read, I've, I've read the biology of belief multiple times. Now my boyfriend has read it. We love it. But from what the world has taught us, you're kind of like, can it possibly be that simple? Can I really be the creator? Can, because, you know, so when I started to realize what you were saying about taking my Saturday nights back and, and, and doing these things, I had taught that doing that was selfish. You show up for people, you go out, you, you right. And like all of these things we've been taught, all of the programs. And so at times I felt a little crazy because I was not following within this regimen, within this box of how I had been taught to do things. But outside of those constraints is the power that you're talking about. And we've been connected to it the whole time, the whole damn time. That, that's it. And, and as you said, one of the most important lessons that we learned as a kid, well, if it's easy, it can't be that good. If it's real, you got to work hard. That will make it, you know, that ethic of work hard. I go, if you're doing things right, it's not hard work. <laughs> if you're living the life you want, you enjoy the work. Work is an important part of our life. You're contributing. And if you're not contributing, that's a psychological deficit that something's going to go wrong with you at that point. And the idea is, well, are you doing the work that you want to do? Are you doing the work? Because that's the only one that I got left to do, which means then you're not even doing the work that good because your heart's not even in it that you really have to start. This is an interesting time. People have lost their jobs, all this COVID crap going on, which is BS, uh, belief system, okay? Uh, uh, and, and the point about it is, guess what? It's very interesting. People are now seeking jobs, uh, things that they actually wanna do. And I go, significance? If you're doing what you wanna do, then it's not work. Yeah. That's it. And so we're breaking out of, do it because we said so. Okay, yeah. no, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> And that's why there's an upheaval and the planet is in chaos and the planet is in chaos because scientifically we're not sustainable. Human behavior is destroying the environment and we are the environment. So if the environment goes, so do we. And so we're facing an extinction, but it's due to human behavior. And therefore to survive the current version of extinction, which is not a thousand years from now, it's just a couple of decades from now, that human industrial civilization is collapsing and it's irreversible. It's not coming back. Why? It's self-destructive. That's why we're facing the end right here. And so the only way out is to change the system and build a new system. And so what people are afraid of is they see the old system falling apart. Right now, just go read the newspaper. The damn world's in chaos everywhere anyway. I go, this is a good sign. They go, it's a good sign. I go, yeah. Why? We cannot build a sustainable world on the foundation that is causing the extinction. Mm -hmm. The only way we can build it is break the foundation. And as Buckminster Fuller said, build a new one over here with different foundation. Your work, Casey, is an important part of build the new one. It says, get out of that and come over here. Yeah. We don't go fight that. No, it's too big. Build a new one. People yeah. will come. That's, that, that's how it works. And, and so um, <clears throat> I appreciate the opportunity of being with you and to honor you and recognizing you are an evolutionary teacher. You are teaching how to get out of this system and how to regain your power. There's nothing more important in this evolution than for people to recognize who they are and how they are a creator. Because 
if I was going to trust anybody, I'd trust the general population because they all want the same thing. Health, happiness, security, a job, love. They all want that. It's the leadership that is saying, but I want this for me. <laughs> and all of a sudden now we're working for them. And I go, let go. And then follow Casey because she will show you that there's a better life when you're not playing the old game anymore. That's Thank what it's all about. Much. I, I received that. Thank you so much. Well, Dr. Bruce Lipton, this has been a pleasure. My enthusiasm, as my friends and my boyfriend can attest to, to the fact that I got to talk to you today for the past week <laughs> has been off the charts. So I am just grateful for all the work you're doing, all the energy you're putting out into the world. And thank you so much for spreading the knowledge with a capital K, capital K, the knowledge we've always had. Thank you for bringing us back to that. I appreciate it. And thank you for being a coworker with me and helping people realize this because it's, as I said, I can think about it, but if I'm not doing it, then so what? <laughs> it's useless. So uh, your guidance is necessary for people to recognize they can do something to create a better life. And uh, so thank you for your efforts. Thank our audience for listening because they're the ones that are looking for, is there another way besides this one? Because this one doesn't work very well. I go, yes. Follow that lady next to me here. She's going to take you on a great ride. Bruce, all of your information will be in the show notes so everyone can get your books, get your... So if, if someone wants to follow along with you, if they're new to your work, what is the best way to do that, actually? BruceLipton.com. Perfect. Okay. And the fun part is sign up for my free newsletter. Mm. And the free newsletter, why am I so you know joyous about my newsletter? Is because my nephew, my videographer, Alex, and I put together uh videos uh each month uh and they're edutainment meaning uh they're fun but educating uh, i like the fun part the education part gets thrown in second but uh the fun part and and it's kind of fun and uh i i hope people will, will go get a you know just sign up it comes to your house you get to watch a video and there's a little bit of a letter that says why that video was relevant and uh, i encourage people to do that because if it's not fun, then it's not really easy to learn. <laughs> learning is hard. Learning is difficult. You have to sweat over and go, I'm not learning. Yeah. But if learning is fun and I can laugh, then that's the one I want. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, Bruce. And we were so grateful to have you. I am so happy to be here with you, Casey, and our wonderful audience. So thank you for listening. I look forward to your happiness. Thank you. And there you have it, my friends, my episode with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the show. My friends who know of Bruce's work and were asking me about him coming on were like, how was it? How was he? And I was like, he's an earth angel. I was speaking to an earth angel who just also happens to be one of the best, in my personal opinion, best scientific minds of our time. So as I mentioned in the episode with Bruce, all of his information will be in the show notes. You can check him out. And also YouTube is a great way to find other talks with Bruce. There are tons of talks that you can listen to with Bruce on YouTube. So if you enjoyed the show, thank you so much. You can leave a review on Spotify. It's just a star review, or you can scroll down all the way on, if you listen on Apple 
podcasts, yeah, Apple Podcasts, and you can leave a comment and a star review. Another way you can support the show is by buying me a coffee, which is a fun, energetic exchange. The link to that will be in the bio. As always, I am sending you so much love, so much yellow light and energy from the depths of my my core, my soul of just pure gratitude. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you all soon.